Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianmedia.com. Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. We are still, of course, in the midst of the season of the radiant resurrection, the Paschal season, the magnificent season of the church. Although we're coming up on the official ending of the Paschal season itself, per se, in other words, the 40-day observance, that'll be this week because we will observe the ascension of our Lord into heaven. But today, this is the Sunday in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, according to the Gregorian calendar, of the Sunday of the paralytic. If you've been listening to this program for a while, you'll notice that we sort of emanate outward from the empty tomb and different themes each Sunday in our Byzantine liturgical calendar, which have a lot to do with not only the meaning of the resurrection, its relevancy to us today in our lives, but also to the church, to the sacraments, especially baptism and Eucharist. On this program, we present the riches of the church, east and west, primarily the eastern lung of the church, as John Paul II referred to it. But we do so also in a way in which we can present to you what is relevant, what is timely, what is significant, what is helpful to us in our lived experience in the Eastern Christian spirituality and to help us convey that, especially in light of certain events in our day and age today. We have brought on our program today, invited on, and we're happy to have him here, a voice you may be already able to recognize. We welcome to our program today, Father Peter Galadza of the Sheptitsky Institute in Ottawa, Canada. Christ is risen, Father Peter. Truly he is risen. Father, be, uh, before we even get into our, our topic, uh, I think your, uh, your uh, listeners should, should be aware of something. I mean, uh, um, the last time I saw you were up in Ottawa preaching a retreat on the theology of the body for our Eastern Catholic chaplaincy at the University of Ottawa and St. Paul University where the Sheptitsky Institute is. And, um, you know, you're a very modest guy. You're not going to toot your own horn. So I, I think it's good when every once in a while a guest comes on the show and is able to to uh, say something that's uh, that's an uh, incontestable fact, which is uh, the retreat that Father Tom Loya preached uh, in Ottawa was, was just a marvel. Um, he was able to accomplish something that rarely happens today. Uh, the first night we had about 85 young people, which in and of itself is, is quite astounding. Usually, my experience is uh, you get a, you know, a certain number of people the, the first night. The next night, inevitably, there's a drop. Well, Saturday night, uh, Father went from 85 people to 120 people, and by mm. Sunday night, it was up to 140. And mm. most importantly, I mean, the, the, the testimony, the witness to our Lord Jesus Christ and, and, and the truth uh, the, the truth that the Catholic Church proclaims about the body uh, was, was uh, 
proclaimed loud and clear, and it was received in in a really beautiful way by some uh, very very um, how shall I say these are these are the future leaders uh, in Canada. We had law students uh, who came up to to Father Tom after the the third night and and said, you know, um, wow, you know, I, I I thought I knew something about. Uh, sexual morality, the church's position on these things, but uh, it was a real eye-opener. And these are the people that are going to be in the courts, you know, mm-hmm. judges, uh, forming public opinion in the future. So, Father Tom, it's a, it's a thank you from all of us uh, up in Ottawa, the, the the true north, strong and free, at least for the time being. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Father Peter. It was an honor for me to have been invited to speak, so I'm glad it, it went well. And Father Peter, as you heard at the beginning of the program, especially in light of recent events, and especially here in America, I mean, you're from Canada, but you know America very well. We've been, of course, laboring under this now, this recent terrorist attack in Boston, and it probably raises a lot of questions in people's hearts and minds, fear, anxiety, perhaps even test of faith, etc. What is it that the Eastern Christian spirituality has to offer to people today in light of our day and age? Well, I think what's very interesting, if if you know something about the evolution of theology on the Western side, you realize that, oh, certainly by the 20th century, you had a large swath of even Roman Catholics who really started diminishing... um, the reality of the resurrection. I mean, they, they would talk about the resurrection, but it was, you know, it's supposed to be a metaphor. It's an image. It's an expression of our human longing for, for you know, survival or whatever. Well, you'd be hard-pressed to find an Eastern Christian theologian, whether Eastern Orthodox or Eastern Catholic, who would question the reality of the bodily resurrection. In other words, we on the last day will be raised by God, in a way that includes our physicality. Now, what does that mean? So people say, well, okay, big deal. Well, what that means is that all the fear that so many of us walk around with every day, you know, the fear concerning, well, what what if, you know, something horrible happens to me? All that fear is relativized because we are in the hands of God. Now, does this mean that we take stupid risks? Does this mean we don't defend ourselves? Of course not. But, you know, if we as North Americans, as Westerners, start walking around uh, being suspicious of Every relationship, every foreigner, every person that uh, comes our way that we, we've never seen before, uh, we're going to, in fact, uh, we're going to be ceding the victory to these people. And most importantly for us as Christians, it's to believe that we can proceed into the future with the knowledge that that our Lord Jesus Christ takes care of us, not just in some theoretical way. And it's not even just that, you know, we, we believe in the immortality of the soul. I mean, even the pagan Greeks believed in that. I mean, Plato believes in immortality of the soul. We believe in the resurrection of the flesh. Our very bodies will be raised up. And so that gives us a confidence. I mean, imagine all the martyrs, you know, you know, the last thing people want to hear about today is martyrdom and sacrifice. Uh, in the early church, that's one of the first things you would have heard about because this is what made the Christians d- distinctive, their, their their willingness to, to, to confront life, to confront death, to confront all sorts of uh, horrific events with a, a spirit of, of profound peace. They were able, as it were, to walk above it all because they knew that the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what happens to them, is going to raise them up on the last day. 
And this raising up of our bodies, Father Peter, like people might be thinking, raise my body up. Gee, I'm fat and bald. I don't want that body forever. You know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, they, they obviously uh, need to do a little more scripture reading and realize that, of course, St. Paul talks about you know the fact that this is a glorified body. And if you look at what happens with our Lord in, in the resurrection accounts, I mean, he's, you know, the, the, his body has different qualities. And, and by the way, what's very interesting in the last 30, 40 years, it's actually become a lot easier for people who in the past may have been skeptical to to accept some of this teaching about the resurrection because of course you know with our knowledge of dna we realize that the material dimension of us is much more a code than it is some kind of static reality. You know, mm-hmm. now I'm not trying to diminish the, you know, the the, the very uh, you know mystical reality. I mean, you're, you're never going to be able to explain what the glorified body is like. But the point is that the moment we get away from this idea of the human body as this static thing, okay, so it then decomposes. Well, what does that mean? You know, the, these ashes are kind of well. What it does mean is that in our physicality. Ultimately, we will be raised up. We will survive. And this, by the way, ties in directly with, with the, um, the, the ascension because, uh, again, this is something you, you won't even hear about this very often, but it's certainly in our hymnography. It's certainly mm-hmm. in the authentic teaching of the church. I mean, the Lord raises the human body on high. Now, this, yes. this gets really mysterious yeah. because they say, okay, well, then those cosmonauts who went up in, into, into the skies, uh, into the heavens and came back and said, well, we were up there and we, we didn't see any God up there. You know, I mean, they, uh, you know, if, if we believe this thing about Jesus having raised our bodies on high, then somewhere those cosmonauts should have seen him uh, sitting on a throne somewhere. Well, <laughs> you know, that is, of course, is to, to just, just um, turn the whole uh, profound mystical reality into, into to something uh, quite trite and, as it were, all too terrestrial. The point is that in a way that our mind can't comprehend, and yet in a way that is thoroughly reasonable, Jesus, our Lord, the pre-eternal word of God, by taking on human flesh, by becoming flesh, you know, it's not just taking on, it's becoming flesh, he has united that physical reality to the divinity in an inextricable way and is in his in his ascension that physicality you know our bodiness is raised on high so you know this touches very directly to to your of course favorite team theology the body i mean this you know this gives us a sense of how crucial the body is for all of this and we say in our liturgical text in our hymnography as, as you referred to we actually say that christ has mounted the human body on his throne he's yeah, enthroned yeah. the human nature there's, there's human nature enthroned on the very throne of God. And then there, it's interesting, Father Peter, I, I love the liturgical text where it talks about the, how the angels are watching this figure ascend, and they're asking, who is this? What is this happening? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're watching human nature ascend. Right, right. So even the, the angels have trouble figuring it out, so yeah, we, exactly, we shouldn't yeah. feel too bad, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and again, Father Peter, for me, the great genius of our liturgies and liturgy is that it immerses us into this reality. For instance, we celebrate, and we're going to celebrate the Ascension, but we also celebrate during this Paschal season, the fact it was right after Easter, Paschal Sunday itself, the Sunday of St. Thomas, which is all about, and again, that crucial detail from John, that although the doors were locked, and we say that in our tropari, in our our liturgical text, Mm -hmm. we make that detail, although the doors were locked, he passes through them, which means he was spirit, but then he says, touch my wounds. So he's also very physical. He's, he's as much spirit as he is physical, as much physical as he is spirit. And somehow those are 
are commingled. They're 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 together as as one reunited person. And and the beauty, the additional beauty in all of that is that it directly relates it to the cross because of course there's a tendency for us sometimes, especially, you know, with the new age stuff out there, to be really enthralled by all this, oh okay, you know, the human body raised on high, you know, divinization, etc. Uh, which is absolutely true. We believe that. We will never stop proclaiming that. But what distinguishes us from a lot of the, the New Age stuff is that without the cross, none of this is real. And so there's this intimate connection between resurrection ascension on the one hand and the, the sacrificial uh, immolation of our Lord's very body. And on Thomas Sunday, we draw attention to that in a very, very specific way because the resurrected body of our Lord is not one that is somehow, you know, it's not as if he goes and gets some plastic surgery, you know, and then comes back and says, hey, hey, look at this one, you know. I mean, he's coming back and showing his wounds, uh, and that has profound significance for us. Father, we're coming up on break, but before we do... Tell the listeners where they can find out more about you. About me? Well, Mm -hmm. uh, the Sheptiski Institute website has all sorts of information about me and certainly our programs, which is much more important. So that's S-H-E-P-T-Y-T-S-K-Y dot C-A. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Truth. It's not about how you feel. And now, a Sheptitsky Institute Minute with Father Peter Galadza. In 1935, Archbishop Andrei Sheptitsky wrote the following about truth and our attitudes towards faith. He wrote, Many believing Christians are sometimes wrong because they think that authentic religion is more of a feeling than truth itself. Faith is an act of reason and not a blind assent to just anything whatsoever. And faith is certainly not just one's private experience. Faith compels one to believe, but it compels one because the mind itself recognizes that believing is a reasonable and necessary act and that not believing would be a sin against God and truth. To learn about degree programs in Eastern Christian Studies, visit sheptitskyinstitute.ca. That's S-H-E-P-T-Y-T-S-K-Y institute.ca. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East, Christ is Risen. I'm Father Thomas Loy again. Our guest today, our very esteemed guest, happy to have him here, Father Peter Galadza of the Sheptiski Institute in Ottawa, Canada. Father Peter, I mentioned at the beginning of the program that this program is being heard on what would be in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, the Sunday of the man born blind. In other words, the story of Christ curing the man who was born blind. You know, having our vision corrected, being able to see as God wants us to see, as he created us to see, it, to me, that is the challenge today. That is the goal today. Help our listeners to see with the eyes of faith these great horrors, these tragedies, yeah. the pressures, the anxiety that sure. we live with today, especially in our culture. 
Help them to see how should they see and what difference does it make to see with the right, correct sure. eyes of faith? Well, you know, we already mentioned the importance of belief in the resurrection as the foundation for overcoming all fear. St. John Chrysostom says that most of the time when we're sinning, it's because of our fear of death. We're afraid that if we don't do this, uh, somehow, well, well, for example, we won't get a promotion. If we don't get a promotion, we won't have more money. If we don't have more money, we're not going to be able to buy this and this. If we don't buy this and this and this, uh, who knows, we might end up dying. You know, I mean, it's, 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 it sounds crazy, but actually deep down inside, uh, a lot of our thinking sometimes goes in that direction. So we've already talked about the importance of a really pervasive belief in the resurrection as the way to overcome fear. I think that... The other dimension in all of this, and and you raised it when you say, okay, opening our eyes, getting the right vision, it then, and you know, this ties with with what we were uh, talking about earlier. It's about making sure that we have the right idea of who God is. You know, when when people today say that religion has been and remains the greatest source of all conflicts in human history, I always point out, uh, well, yeah, if it's false religion, Mm -hmm. if it's bad religion, Mm -hmm. yeah, oh yeah, it'll breed breed conflict, you know? Mm -hmm. So the question is, you know, what do you believe? And and we, we cannot stop repeating that ideas have consequences. What you believe about God is going to impact on your behavior. So, for example, if my God is not the God who is willing to enter fully into my life and die on the cross, die an ignominious death on the cross in order to identify himself thoroughly, totally with humanity out of love, out of sacrificial love, well, there's there's the possibility that I may be more prone to engage in certain kinds of activities. I mean, there's no doubt that the very fact that, you know, the true God, the true living God, and this is why I always tell people, I say, you know, I don't want you just to believe in God. I mean, God, you know, God can be anything. Mm-hmm. Do you believe in the living God? The living God is the one who rends the heavens, mm-hmm. you know, to quote Isaiah, to come and be in our midst. And that kind of religion, if you believe in that kind of God, that kind of religion will never lead to violence. It will never lead no. to anything sinful. It, it's just like Father Peter, you know, if we truly believe that God, as we talked about earlier, it became a car, took on our nature, well, that, that does something to the quality of human nature. Then we read in, in the letters of St. Paul how he says, remember, you are the temples of the Holy Spirit. As you say, if that is real to us, if you really believe that, you see that in another person, then no, you can't hurt them. Absolutely. You cannot And, kill and you them. know, and, and, and there's another very important uh, dimension in all this. All of us have grown up, I mean, anybody who's, what, under the age of of 60 uh, has grown up to a lesser or greater extent in a period where, as Pope Benedict XVI uh, said, uh, a period that is dominated by the the dictatorship of relativism. So, of course, we don't want to stress absolutes, right? Right. Well, what if one of the absolutes that you 
proclaim and believe in is that we are to love even our enemies and to do good to those who hate us. So what you do, you put in your list of absolutes, God is one as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's an absolute, the Trinity. God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, became one of us, became flesh. Jesus Christ is the pre-eternal word of God. The church is established by Jesus Christ to be the new humanity. And the church is a sacrament in which sacraments are celebrated. That's an absolute. In other words, that's something that you need. Uh, That's something without which the human race will not be changed. And by the way, along with all those absolutes, and we could go on and on with, with different dogmas of the church, along with those is the absolute that when I encounter somebody who even spits upon these realities and hates what I'm proclaiming, I still am obliged to pray for that person. I'm obliged by that same Lord who took on flesh, who became flesh in our midst. I'm obliged by that Lord to bless that enemy, to pray for that enemy and to love that enemy. The moment that that's part of the mix, uh, nobody should be ever allowed to accuse Christianity uh, of, of fomenting violence, of, of being some kind of divisive force. And it, it'll divide. It'll divide people, but it, it'll divide for the sake of the good in the same way that any kind of evaluation analysis has to involve a, a kind of division. And I reminded the words of G.K. Chesterton to some of these challenges of, of, of that religion creates violence and so on. He said, it's not that Christianity has failed. It's been tried, but found difficult. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. And, and actually, you know what's really fascinating, and, and I'm going to share this because I just heard this recently. The real violence that occurs in human history starts occurring once people reject God. There was, uh, I think it was Baylor University down, uh, I think it's, it's in Texas. Anyway, it's, it's, you know, it's a respected university. Uh, they you know, did all of the, the standard, uh, they follow all the standard procedures for historical investigation. And they determined the following, that in the entire history of Christianity, for, you know, 2,000 years, in, during that entire period, the number of people who have died in violence involving Christians would be around 5 million, okay, in the space of 2,000 years. Now, that doesn't get anybody off the hook, okay? We, you know, as, as Pope John Paul II said in the year 2000, we sincerely repent for any kind of violence that one Christian has brought on someone, uh, another Christian or on someone else. But compare that with the violence that has been generated by various isms right, within <laughs> only the 20th century. Let's not, yes. let's not talk about 2,000 years. Just within the 20th century, between nationalism, communism, Nazism, we are talking about probably maybe 250 million. Because people say, what do you mean 250 million? Well, yeah. you've got all the deaths during World War I, mm-hmm. a lot of nationalism there. And then once you factor in the, factor in the, the victims of communism in China, that story has yet to be written. They, I, I think that 
you know, we'll, we'll never know the full statistics, but, you know, there were tens of millions of people who died regularly in various government-engineered famines, etc. And then, of course, you've got the whole Soviet, uh, quote-unquote, experiment. You've got communism, socialism in Africa. So, you know, this whole, um, you know, this whole myth about Christianity being such a violent religion. I mean, it's exactly that. It's just a myth which is used by people. Well, I mean, it's insidiously used by all sorts of people who want to, of course, make sure that they reject the truth of Jesus Christ. Um, The problem is that they claim to be very honest and they claim to have integrity in their analysis. Well, okay, let's let's compare the statistics then, Mm -hmm. you know? Right. (laughs) You know, Father P, I'm going to share with you and the listeners something that actually happened to me. This is a true story. It's going to sound, and I know it could sound like, well, I'm supposed to say this because I'm a priest with this radio program and so on, but this is what happened. When I first saw the announcement of the bombing at the Boston Marathon, you know, I know, of course, you're looking at horror. You're looking at just raw evil. What welled up in me, and this is literally my experience, what welled up inside of me was the words, and actually, it actually came to my lips, I actually said it as I'm standing from the TV. Christ is risen from the dead by death he trampled death. And to those within the tombs he granted life. And I thought, why am I thinking? Not that I was so mystified, but, but the, the fact that it was so real and so immediate to me, I realized in a sense what I was doing, I was like rebuking evil Absolutely. with the reality yeah. of what we're experiencing during yeah. this time yeah. of year. And you know what's really interesting, Father Tom? In Ukraine, which has, of course, been experiencing, you know, well, Ukraine, Eastern you know, Russia, all those places, um, where they've experienced stuff like this for, for centuries on a regular basis, the Studite monks, the Ukrainian Catholic Studite monks, year-round, even during Lent, greet each other with the greeting, Christ is risen. And people <laughs> say to them, well, well, what are you up to? They say, you know what? We really need Christ's res- resurrection around here. There's a lot of death. There has been death. But we believe that the Lord is sovereign well, Father Peter, I want to thank you for being uh, on our program today. And also thank you for these wonderful Shaptitsky moments you've been uh, sending to us here on Light of the East. I think our audience has been appreciating it as well. God bless you. Christ is risen. Again, this is our guest today was Father Peter Galadza from the Shaptitsky Institute in Ottawa, Canada. Once more, the website? It's uh, S-H-E-P-T-Y-T-S-K-Y dot C-A. Thank you, Father Peter. God bless you. Thank you. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East.